Years ago when uh, my wife and I were much younger, my son, your pastor, was born about that time. We were in the St. Petersburg Church for a short while before we went into another town to start a church. And uh, while we were there in the, in the St. Petersburg Church, there was an elderly sister that was in that church from up north. I don't remember what state she was from, but uh, she would stand up to testify. And we had this back in the olden days when we had what we call testimony service. And uh, somebody would stand in the pulpit and sort of, sort of run the testimony service and have people, you know, in the audience to stand up and testify. Usually somebody voluntarily would stand up and testify. Well, when it came her turn, she would stand up. And sometimes she would sing a song. And it was, I, uh, he passed my way, he passed my way. Uh, I'm so glad that he passed my way. And then it would go into the second verse, and he'll pass your way. He'll pass your way. Jesus will pass your way, and you'll be so glad he passed your way. And so this morning, I want to talk to you from the depth of my heart here this morning on this subject. I'm going to read a scripture text to you. He passed my way. And what I'm going to do here today, I'm going to give you my personal testimony. This is not testimony service, but Bishop Myers may never get another chance to tell you some of the things that has happened in my life and what Jesus has meant to me and why I live for God and I chose to live for him a long time ago. Praise the Lord. So I want to pass some things along to you. And I'm going to read scriptures in the Bible here that goes along with that song, He Passed My Way. And that dear sister, of course, is long gone to heaven, good saint of God. And uh, she would sing that song, He Passed My Way. And then she'd say, He'll pass your way. He'll pass your way. And if you give your life to him, you'll be so glad you, he passed your way. And all of you whose lives God has passed, or Jesus, particularly, I'm speaking of Christ, passed your way, you're so glad that he did pass your way. Praise the Lord. Nothing greater than all that. I want to read this scripture here in, in Luke chapter 18, verse 35. And it's speaking of uh, a blind Bartimaeus standing, sitting by the wayside. In verse 35 of here in Luke is, is recorded in uh, Matthew and Luke. And Luke 18, 35 says, And it came to pass that as he was come nigh <clears throat> unto Jericho, a certain blind man sat by the wayside begging and hearing the multitude passing by. Notice that. He asked what it meant. They told him that Jesus of Nazareth passed by. And he cried, said, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And they which went before rebuked him that he should hold his peace. And I will tell you this, that when Jesus passes by our way, there are those who think you ought to just be quiet, shut your mouth and say nothing and do nothing. But if you want to get an answer from God and the Lord is passing your way, cry out to him and don't ever hold your peace. There's times we're going through a trial or a test in our own lives in the church and you feel down and you can go to the house of God. And all of a sudden in a service, the preacher may be preaching, it may be a worship service, 
at any part of the services, be the song service, whatever, and we'll feel the Holy Ghost move upon us particularly. When that happens, you reach out to the Lord. You always cry out to him, say, Lord, I need you. Hallelujah. Because Jesus is passing your way in a very special way in that time. So they told this blind man, said, you be quiet. Don't say nothing. And uh, verse uh, 39, they which went before rebuked him that he should hold his peace. But he cried so much the more. Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And uh, it's funny how that everybody's always so concerned about uh, social things, so concerned about the proper things of everything. And yet Jesus wants to see us just hungry for him, desperate for him, reaching out to him. That's what he really wants to see. Praise the Lord. You know, we eat like this, you know, we eat very delicately. But Jesus had always, has always admired hungry people who, you know, hungry people, hungry spiritually, I'm speaking of. Well, you got, you see a guy real hungry and you give him, or you put him up before some food there. He don't do like this, like that. Man, he'll gobble into that stuff because he's hungry. And this is the way the Lord wants to see us spiritually when he passes our way that we reach out to him. So this guy says, forget you guys. I got, I have a need, a real need. I'm blind. So he cried out the much more. And uh, they which went rebuked him, he held, and he, he, they should hold his peace. And uh, verse 40, and Jesus stood and commanded him to be brought unto him. And when he would come near, he asked him, saying, what wilt thou that I should do unto thee? Notice here, he got Jesus's attention. And, and he said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, receive thy sight. Thy faith hath made, hath saved thee. And immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God and all the people. When they saw it, gave praise unto God. And nobody else said it after that. Oh, you know, keep quiet. Don't say nothing. They didn't do that. Now, I want you to notice here that Jesus passed his way. And this is what brought this all about. Look at chapter 19, verse one, the very next verse. Jesus entered in, passed through Jericho and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans and he was rich. This was a tax collector. There were Jews who, tex- who collected taxes from the Jews and gave it, gave it to the Roman government. They were hi- hated and despised by the Jews and they were considered the worst kind of a sinner. But these people, they did it because it was a living for them, I guess it was. Well, Zacchaeus had become rich. Verse 3, and he sought to see Jesus, who he was. He heard stories about him. And could not for the press because he was little of stature. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. Now here again is that statement, he was to pass that way. And then finally wrapping it all up. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up, saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste, come down for today. I must abide at thy house. Both of these men got results. And when Jesus passed their way now, and I reminded you here about this sister that said, Jesus passed my way. He passed my way. I often thank the Lord that Jesus sent someone our way, not just me, but my people. My people, I lived in, I, I was born and raised in the city of Pensacola, Florida, up in the panhandle. 
a little southern town up there that, uh, and, uh, you know, my people were, I guess they were just denominational. Some of them were saved, some wasn't saved. Uh, my father's people had gotten, some of them had gotten into the Assemblies of God church. They were Assemblies of God, so they had the baptism of the Holy Ghost. My grandparents on my father's side were Assemblies of God. But there was a man by the name of D.L. Welch that came to Pensacola. And he later became a district superintendent of Florida and was well-known, one of the, had probably the biggest church in the state of Florida in the Pentecostal ranks. But he came to Pensacola with nothing. All he had was an ambulance with a bunch of kids in it. He had about seven, seven kids. And that thing loaded down, and he'd go around with a bullhorn. We were having a tent meeting, having a tent meeting, throw up a big old tent, you know, in there. And every people flock in there because that was all they had to do. It was a depression days and people were poor and didn't have any money to go anywhere. And so they went to a church. They went there and he preached the gospel and my people heard the gospel. My grandmother got saved. I had an aunt that was an epileptic and uh, she was young back then. And my, my grandmother uh, was trying to get her. This is my mother's mother. She was trying to get healing for her. And so she would, uh, you know, go to these different and she heard about it and she took her there. And in the course of going to that meeting and taking uh, this aunt of mine to be healed and prayed for, uh, she found the Lord for herself. And then finally, my granddad also got saved and little by little, different members of the family got saved and they got in the church and received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now, I say all of that to say that I'm so glad that. Brother Welch and his family came to Pensacola. Uh, His sons, after Brother Welch had passed away, I was in Pensacola one service and I talked to his two or three of his sons and his daughter that was there. I said, listen, I want to tell all you guys, I am so happy that your dad and mom and your family and all of you came to Pensacola one day and you brought the message and the hope to our city to this town, to my people, you came our way, praise the Lord. And it wasn't them coming, but they, what they brought with them. That is Jesus Christ. I later had Brother Welch at my home more than one time. He was a great friend, became a great friend to me when I got into the ministry and so forth. And uh, he, would, he told me about how he would, things he would do. He said, I'd go to a town and I'd pray, God, give us a miracle. And then when that miracle happened, he knew that it would be an open door for things to begin to happen and that God would begin to save people and so forth. That's the way he worked. But he built a great church there in Pensacola. But I want to talk to you more specifically about my own personal life because even though it was my people and my family and I knew the truth and I knew what it was, I still did not live for God. I had chosen just to live my own life, live my own way. And... uh, When I was 16 years old on New Year's Eve, 1951, going into 1952, that's way back. A lot of you folks don't even, you'll never know that one. Uh, You were born way since then. But this is how far back it goes. I was 16 years old and I was with two uncles. One uncle was four months older than me. He was like a cousin. The other uncle was about four, five, six years older than me. And the older one was more savvy and wise, knew about the world more and all that stuff. So he took, I and my other uncle, he took us to a square dance 
in Tampa, Florida on this New Year's Eve service. Big, big barn looking thing called it Big Barn Dance. And I didn't know all about this stuff. There's a big dance floor out there and it was square dancing. You know, they all hopped around and you know how the square dancing and everything trotting around. And then all around the outside of that dance floor was all these tables sitting in everywhere. And they were serving beer and they were serving Coke and they were serving this. I didn't drink any alcohol because I was into sports and I wanted to stay healthy and all that stuff. But I was there and all the noise and all the confusion and all the dancing and this uncle of mine, he'd go off and bring back people. And he said, this is my friend, so-and-so. And he got all these friends that come and go. So our table was a pretty popular little old table there because of him. And we just sat there and I sit there and we, you know, we laughed everything. And it came the New Year's Eve night. I'll never forget this as long as I live. And it turned midnight and everybody started cheering because it was now the new year, 1952. And everybody started hooping and hollering and cheering it up and everything. And I turned to my right and there was a military guy there that was in the Air Force at, at, at McDeal, I think it is, in Tampa. Young guy. He had a girlfriend. And he had drank so much he was drunk as a skunk and had thrown up and gotten sick and was just a mess. And there he was in a chair and he was like this. And this girlfriend was holding his hand up and said, be happy, be happy. You know, new year, new year. And she was trying to be cheerful. And he was just as sick as a horse. And I started looking around this place. And I saw all of this carrying on going on around me. And a little voice spoke to me and says, this is not you. This is not what you are. This is not for you. This is not, and I wasn't saved. This is not you here. This is not what you want. Well, that little voice just came in my mind so clear. And I was, I was happy when we finally left that place. And I never went back to another one like that as long as I lived after that. That was in, that was in the turn of the year of 1952. The following March, I was in Niceville, Florida. And I went to a Pentecostal church. Brother Dennis, the sister Dennis pastored a little old church that all they had was the basement part. They hadn't built the top on the top yet. They had basements up there and they had built this basement part of it. And that's where you had the church in the basement, a little narrow section in there. That was probably the whole church was no bigger than just one section of the, of our church here at the most. And, uh, it was, uh, just a very simple thing, you know, and, Brother Rooks, who later would pastor the church in Miami for many years before he passed away, he and Sister Rooks, they both passed away now. They were a young couple then. They were preaching a revival. And somebody said, let's go down to that Pentecostal church on a Sunday night with nothing else going on. And let's go down there and just see what's happening in the revival. And I went there with, with this, these two uncles of mine and some friends and buddies and all. We went there and we all sit on the back seat and everything like that. He preached an evangelistic message that, I'll, that I do not to this day remember. I don't remember anything about it. Now, a lot of us have been to churches like that. You don't remember anything the preacher preached. She sang some pretty songs. They were pretty and everything like that. But when he came down to giving the altar call, something got a hold of me. And Jesus was passing my way then. And he was giving that altar call. Finally, one young person after another started going down, each one of them. 
And I had a little old football chain in my hand, a little, little chain with a football on it, and I was doing like this around my finger. And just, I can still remember that. I played on that little football thing, and I was thinking to myself, boy, if I could just hang on and get out of this service, get through it, without going to that altar and everything, I'm going to tell my buddies, boy, they almost got me tonight. They almost got me. I was, I was feeling conviction. I was thinking what I was going to say afterwards. And I looked around and everybody on the pews had gone. They'd already, they were already at the altar. All these buddies of mine, they were down praying. So I said, oh my Lord, I'm the only one back here. Well, I'm not going. I just kept on that. And Brother Rooks just hung in there. He just kept on giving that altar call, kept on giving that altar call. Finally, I said, oh, I might as well go. I put the chain in my pocket. I walked down that aisle, went down that altar and gave my heart to the Lord and prayed through and People, you know, got with me and prayed me through. I'm only telling you that, folks, because it's my personal experience when Jesus passed by. I I didn't know what I was getting into, but it it came to be the most wonderful thing in the world. They took us out and baptized us in the bio out of salt water, you know. And I always tell people I got salted down when I got baptized in Jesus' name. (laughs) Praise the Lord. They baptized us, and I never forget the pastor saying, if a, if a robin could pick up one grain of sand and take it to the moon and come back and get another grain of sand and fly to the moon again with one grain of sand until he had transferred the whole earth to the moon, eternity will have just begun. Well, I thought, wow, that's a long, long time. You know? So anyway, he was trying to tell us that when you get saved, it's for eternal life. I'm just telling you all of that to tell you here that the Lord saved us and in and, 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 and that I was still in, I was in high school there in Niceville and, uh, and I was, uh, you know, just trying to get on, uh, get through life and, and everything. And this wonderful experience happened to me. And I went to church every service. I was always outside that door. I couldn't wait till they got there, unlocked the door, let us go inside and we could sing songs. And it was just the most wonderful experience. The glorious thing. I just got into a hook, line and sinker. I had the first cousin who was a couple of years older than me, and he was in the assemblies of God. He had gotten in the assemblies of God. When I'd heard about him getting saved, I said, oh, Lord, there goes Jack. Now, he won't be any fun to be around anymore because he's saved now, you know, and everything. Well, I got with Jack, and he was just as fun as always, but he had a deeper life and a more consecrated life. So later I was talking to Jack. I said, Jack, uh, I said, you really have gotten close to the Lord. What did you do? He said, Ellis, I went down in the woods and started praying. I'd fast and pr- I'd fast all day, go down the woods and pray. I said, really? Yeah. And he said, I got a call to preach. I said, you have? Really? That was interesting. So anyhow, I got to thinking, I'm going to get close to God. I'm going to go down in the woods and I'm going to pray. And, you know, you go down there and it's a hot, real hot summer, June, late, late, June, late spring day. And I'd go down the woods there, you know, and I'd, I'd fast and pray when nothing, eat anything all day. Get down there, and there'd be some old yellow fly flying around like that, you know, or dog fly fighting him, you know. I said, this is not spiritual at all, you know. But I kept doing it. I kept doing it. And uh, one day, I was down there praying, and the Lord had me read this, or I read this scripture in the Bible. Now, listen very closely, and you're familiar with it. Matthew 28, 19. Go, you know, therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Now, this was the, this was the scripture that God gave me 
And when that scripture came to me and it just popped out at me, I said, oh my Lord, the Lord is talking to me and saying, go in all the world and preach the gospel. This is a call to the ministry that I'm getting here. This is what this is all about. I could feel the Holy Ghost all over me when I was preaching. And I'm down in the woods, you know, fighting bugs and flies and praying. And on the edge of a bio, I could look over the side of the hill and see the water down there all by myself. And I said, Lord, if this really is in serious, you give me some confirmation that this is of you. In the meantime, I'm reading my Bible, studying it all I can. A few days later, uh, the pastor's wife said to my sister who had gotten saved, she said to my sister, which is a year and a half younger than me, she said, my husband had a dream and there's two people and the two young people in this church that God has called to the ministry. She says, your brother's one of them. And then my sister told me privately, I wasn't, I wasn't supposed to know about it. So when I heard that, I said, that's a confirmation. Later on, I was testifying in church. I mentioned about how we'd sit up and testify. I stood up and testified and the anointing came all over me. I just felt anointed and I preached. Instead of testifying, I just preached. It was just all over me. And then I went to a little fellowship meeting and they asked me to give, stand up and just give a little, you know, five or 10 minute sermonette, they called it, for young people. And I stood up there and I usually just talk and, you know, and you read the scripture and give a little talk, a little thought or something. Boy, the anointing came over to me and I preached the house fire just for about five minutes there. And I took the Bible and sat down. There was three, two confirmations to what I had. I said, Lord, I know you've called me to preach. I started making plans then to go to Bible school. From that moment on, I never felt the anointing on me until I went out to preach my first revival. And I was, I was. And I was 16, I was 17 years old then. And I was, I was uh, about 19 years old when I went out and preached my first, turning 20 years old. Now I'm only telling you to tell you that, that God does not leave us. He wants us to stay with him, stay with him, praise the Lord. And so I said, all right, Lord, I'll go. I still didn't understand Matthew 28, 19, go in all the world, pre- baptizing in the name of the Father. So I asked people this, they explained it. I, it, I couldn't understand it. It says... In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. You know, there's three there. I, I couldn't understand it. One day, I was sitting in the house by myself, and I was just reading the Bible here. And all of a sudden, it just came on me. It hit me like a ton of bricks. The name, N-A-M-E, is one name, singular. There's no S there. The names of the Father. It doesn't say names. It says name, one name. And then I looked at it again. I said, well, Father's not a name anyhow, and Son is not a name. And the Holy Ghost is not a name. It preaches the Lord. It's just the Spirit of God. So this is speaking about a name. The name's got to be Jesus. It's Jesus' name. Of course, that's the way I was baptized. Jesus' name. And all of a sudden, it all came to me. Praise the Lord. Like, I started praying about going to Bible school. <clears throat> there were three of us in our church going to go to Bible school together. One girl and, and another guy. <clears throat> and the three of us were going to go to Bible school. We were going to go to Tulsa, to Bible school there. And as I began to pray, the Lord dealt with me specifically to go to St. Paul. And I, to this day, do not know why until after I went there. But he dealt with me specifically to go to St. Paul to Bible school. And one day I told the other two, I said, look, I'm going to go to St. Paul Bible school. They said, well, we're all, I thought we were all going to Tulsa. I said, yeah, but God has dealt with me to go to St. Paul. I'm going to go to St. Paul. As it turned out, I was the only one that went to Bible school. The other two did not go, and I went to St. Paul. 
And I'm telling you that because I knew specifically I was to go there. And when I went there, I knew why. Because God put me under one of the greatest teachers of the 20th century. And that's the truth. S.G. Norris was one of the greatest teachers, uh, I think, of the 20th century, knowledge of the Bible and his ability to run a Bible school and teach students and keep them straight and keep them on line and keep them doing the right thing and everything else was remarkable. But uh, in Tampa, Florida, I got on a Greyhound bus and I had a little money that I had saved when I'd worked with my dad out in the construction work. And then my dad said, I'll match that. I'll give you whatever you got. I'll match it and give you the same thing. And that's what you'll take to school with you. And I understood I could get a job and work up there as well. So I had a little water money. My mother gave me two shoe boxes. One of them had boiled eggs in it. One had boiled potatoes and a few cookies. Two little shoe boxes, tied them together. And I got on a Greyhound bus one morning in early September there in Tampa, Florida, and rode for, t- for two days and two nights on a bus to St. Paul, Minnesota. No train, no airplanes, you know, forget airplanes. That's what rich people did. I got on that bus and I ate them boiled eggs and all boiled potatoes and cookies until they were gone. And I didn't want to spend any money, so I didn't, I never, I didn't eat anything. I wouldn't eat anything. And so that little that box of food lasted me two days and two nights on that bus. I mean, I went through every big city. I was only seven. I just turned 17 in July. I was 17 years old. And here I got on the bus. I never forget when I got on that bus and I sat down in the seat and I looked out the window and my mother and her face was so contorted and she was looking at me smiling, but it was a frown and she was worried sick about me. And my dad said, don't worry, he'll be back home before long. That's what he was saying. I didn't know he was saying that. But I had already purposed that I was going to show my family that God was going to take care of me because my mother and dad was not saved. My grandmother was, but my mother and dad was not. And my family was not saved. And I was going to be a testimony to them. So here I went off to St. Paul to go to Bible school. And I went down and went down. Listen to this now. This is my personal testimony. I got there and somebody, I said, where did they, where can you get a job right here? They said, you go down to Montgomery Ward and they're hiring down there. I went to Montgomery Ward. I went to the personnel department and I walked it through the doors and there's two desks down there. I said, there's two desks. I don't know which one to go to. So I walked up to the one on the right hand side. What I didn't know was one was retail. One was, was mail order. Well, I walked up to the mail order side, not knowing, you know, and, uh, I walked up there, and the young lady behind the desk there, she took my application, everything, said, look it over, we'll call you in a few days. So I went back to the dormitory, told the guys what I did. They said, what about the other desk? I said, I didn't go to that one. They said, that's another department. You're going to need to go back there and try out there. So the next day, I went back to that desk. While I'm waiting to see the person at that desk, the girl in the first desk called me. Over, over. So she saw me sitting there. Didn't you come in? Yes. Yeah. We have a job for you. So I got my job, you know, for working in the mail order house, 91 cent an hour, you know, 91 cent working four, four hours a day. Well, that wasn't very much. I mean, $20 a week, you know, whatever. I mean, less than that. And now I got the job and so forth. 
And I went to work, and for two years I worked there. I went from 91 cents an hour to 97 cents an hour to $1.14 cents an hour to $1.24 cents an hour. I still remember all that stuff. But I'll tell you what I did. I went in this wholesale department where they would fill catalog orders. And I'd sweep up all the floors, empty all the trash. And then I would mop the floors and clean it all up, the whole section that I had to do, half of the seventh floor on the west side. And I'd clean all that up, you know. And then the guy that was over me that was supervising, he's a nice guy, he's a Polish fella. And a very nice guy, he just took me under his wings and said, I'll show you everything you need to do. And I, I worked hard and I did a good job. I broke down old boxes and, you know, and put them down to shoot and, and I'd do my little thing and all that kind of stuff. He said, we got some extra work for you if you want to do it. Well, that was good because I needed extra work. And that was like uh, varnishing or shellacking the floors with a mop, you know, and mopping it all up. And I did that once in a while. Some other manager came there and said to the manager that was over my department, said, hey, your floors look great. Who's doing that? He said, this guy I got working in here. So he said, send him up my way. I want him to do my floor, you know. And then I found out that on that same west floor, everybody had left. They were all gone. And I'd take my little lunch break. I'd go to the window and look out the window looking west toward Minneapolis. And I was on the seventh floor at Montgomery Ward in mid, what's called Midway between St. Paul and Minneapolis on the east side of the Mississippi River. And I could look over and see the city of Minneapolis. I could see all the cars, everything moving there. And I'd stand at that window and I'd pray. Now listen to me closely here. I'd stand there and I'd just talk to Jesus. And I said, Lord, help me to get through this. Help me to learn. Help me to be smart enough that I can learn in these classes. I didn't know anything about religion. I didn't know anything about salvation. I had a great Bible teacher that was teaching us. I mean, we were being taught Bible geography. We were being taught, you know, uh, uh, I don't know, the Old Testament prophecy, all parts of the Bible. And uh, we had all these classes going, and I was trying to keep up with all of it. And I'd go there, and I'd stand at that window, and I would just talk to God and pray, and tears run down my cheek. And I'd say, Lord, I love you. Just And then, folks, for my four years, my three years, my fourth year, I was also back. I'd go back to that same window, and I'd stand there, and I'd look out that window, and I'd talk to the Lord. Years later, 25 years later, when my daughter went to school there, I went back to Montgomery Ward and went to the seventh floor and walked over to that window and stood there and looked out that window. And I said, Jesus, I thank you that you have kept me all these years. Just like I asked way back there, you kept me. When my son went to school there and, and your pastor and he graduated from there, I went back and I think it was during the first year or so, I'd go to that window and I'd stand and look. And I think in the last couple of years, the last year that he was there, they tore that whole ninth, nine floors Montgomery Ward building down and it was no more. And so it's only a memory. But I'm telling you all of that to tell you, praise the Lord, that God was in that. Now, one other thing I want to tell you is that 25 years after my first going there, I'd walked up to that desk and that girl was sitting behind that desk and she hired me. 25 years later, my daughter went to school up there. She had a lousy job. I was at a general conference up that way, and I went by St. Paul with my wife. 
And I said to my daughter, I'm going to get you a job at Montgomery Ward. I went back to that same desk 25 years later in that personnel department. And I walked up to that desk and that same woman is sitting there. She's been working there 25 years. And I told her, I said, many years ago, blah, 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 blah. And she said, I remember you. I remember my name is Ellis Meyer. Yeah, I remember you. But yeah, I said, you do? All, all these, what? I remember you because you were my first client, first person to walk up that I hired. I had just gone to work, just sat down, and you walked up to my desk, and I hired you. I said, well, I've got a favor to ask. I said, I have a daughter that needs a job. Can you put her to work? She said, I'll give her a job. I got a job for her. So she hired Denise. And it was right after that she retired after 25 years. It's just ironic. But I'm just saying how God does strange things and wonderful things. And and he was such a good friend to me. Uh, I'm just talking from my heart, okay? You just bear with me because the Lord has sort of put this on my heart. I went home after a second. I don't know if some of you have ever experienced this. But I went home after my second year working at Montgomery Ward in that department. Didn't make, didn't make just a very little bit of money. I was paying my tuition, trying to get, get through all my tuition, paying my room and board. Just barely had enough money to, you know, you know to, to get your shirts laundered, you know, and that kind of thing. I mean, very basic stuff. And when I went home after my second year, I'd go home. My folks had now moved back to Miami. When I went back to Miami where they were living and everything, uh, and I worked with my dad in the summertime, I went back that summer and I said to myself, you know, when I go back this fall, I want to have some. I want to have a camera. I want to have a little, you know, where I can take pictures. I want to have a little, uh, I think I'll get a little tape recorder. I want to have a few nice things. I want some new clothes. I won't even tell you about the, the two suits I had when I went up there, you know, and a pair, and a, you know, change, you change them around. You wear this, this coat with this pair of pants, and then that coat with that pair of pants, and that makes, so you had four suits out of two suits, you know, that kind of a thing. <laughs> Anybody know what I'm talking about? And then, you, you know, and then on Saturday, you had to make sure you get all this washed up, you know, and everything, because you got to wear, we had to wear, just like I'm looking here, a suit and a tie every day. We had to wear that in class. For six days a week, Sunday, we had to wear this kind of clothes. Now, because we're students, we're studying for the ministry. You don't look like, you know, like you're come off the farm when you're trying to study for the ministry. You know, nothing wrong with the farm, but Brother Norris trying to make preachers out of us, you know. And everything. And then so we're learning the word and we're looking like this. So I said, I'm going to get all spruced up. So this guy that was hired, hiring guys, he said, Myers, I'm not going to hire you because comes, comes uh, September, you'll go back to Bible school. I said, no, I'm not going back this time. I'm going to stay out for till January. And then I'm going to wait out a semester and go back in January so I can stay with you. Okay. You're hired. Good. Okay. I'm hired. I got out, you know, and I started buying some clothes and uh, went down and looked at this baby blue Cadillac. This was 1954, and this car was a 1946, so, I mean, it's not like a new one, you know, but it was, boy, it ran, it was tight. It was just a really a nice little car, baby blue. And the, the guy said, I can work this out where you can. So I bought it. 
I bought this here. You know, I had a job now and everything. So here I am strutting around with this, you know, this little baby blue Cadillac. I was buying some odds and ends, shoes, clothes, and things that I've got, you know. Sister Barbara Basin, so good to see you. God bless you. This lady was in a car accident a few days ago. We didn't know what was, we didn't know, but you're, you're okay. Thank God for that. Praise the Lord. Somebody broadsided her. I just noticed you were sitting there. So anyhow, it came time for me to go back to school. And I was down praying one night before I went to bed in my room. And I could feel like the Lord was like doing like this. I don't want to hear nothing you got to say. I don't hear nothing you got to say. I felt that from, and I was praying. I was just praying and I could feel the Lord being that way with me in prayer. And I said, Lord, you know, I love you. And just on the heels of that, in my mind, the Lord spoke to me and says, lovest thou me more than these. Just like that. I said, dear Lord, that's scripture. That's in the Bible. That's what, that's what the Lord said to Peter. That's what Peter, when he came off from fishing, you know, and the Lord had the fish in the fire. And, uh, and he said to Peter, lovest thou me more than these? Lord, you know, I love you. He said, Lord, three times. He said, lovest thou me more than these? Feed my sheep. You know, that's what the Lord said. The Lord spoke to me of this. And just that quick. I said, Lord, you know, I love you. Cause I felt like the Lord said, you don't love me. I said, you know, I love you. He said, feed my sheep. Lovest thou me more than these? Feed my sheep. And when that happened to me, I just wept. And I said, God, you know, the trouble I'm in. If you will help me, this was like on on a, on a, on a, a Sunday or a Monday, I can't remember on a Sunday, Monday, I think it was Monday, evening, Monday night. And, and, and I knew that I had to get going pretty quick or I was going to miss going back to school. And he's, and I said, if you'll help me to get all this stuff together, I'll go back. I went to work the next day. And a guy said to my dad, whose blue Cadillac is that? And he said, it's my son's. He said, you reckon he's interested in selling it? It's like that. So he said, I don't know, ask him. So he went around the corner where I was working. He said, you interested in selling that Cadillac? I said, yeah, all, all I've done is just made payments on it. I didn't put anything down on it, just made payments on it. I said, take it over, take and pay the payments, make, take it over, it's yours. I'll do it, he says. So he took the car. We signed the papers that evening and the car was gone. The next day, I was sitting with a bunch of us, uh, us young plasters guys. They're all sitting and they eating lunch together. And the boss came in, the one that says, I'm not going to hire you because you won't stay with me. But he finally said, okay, I'll hire you if you stay with me. He walks in and he's mad. And he said, how many of you guys, the draft is after you? They were drafting young men and going in the army back then. Three or four of them raised their hand. He says, you, you, and you, and you, you might as well go ahead and get on and go join the army, get in the military, get it behind you. He said, I'm not going to have a bunch of guys that's going to have to be pulled out and gone. I can't, you know, can't plan on you. And he looked at me and said, Myers, you might as well go on back to Bible school. And he said, we, God knows we need preachers. And that was like, and he freed me. Okay. Now I had freed from that. He freed from the car. But I didn't have any money saved because I'd been buying up stuff, you know. And I went to church on a Wednesday night and this young couple said, Brother Myers, we're driving almost to Chicago and we need somebody just to go with us and help us to drive. And we know that you possibly are probably going back to St. Paul. They didn't know I'd plan not to. 
And we just want to tell you that you, uh, you can go with us or, and it won't cost you anything from here to Chicago. Just like that. And so all I had to do was buy a, a bus ticket from Chicago on up to St. Paul, which was a very minimum amount. And when I finally got there and walked through the door, I, I was only about a day or so late. I walked in the door. S.G. Norris was standing there. He looked at me and I'd already written that I wasn't coming. And he walked over and gave me a big old bear hug. That was unusual with this guy. He gave me a big old bear hug. And I said, okay, I'm, I'm in good graces yet. I'm okay. Praise the Lord. But I'm just saying God worked all those things out. And I'm just telling you folks, God works out things in your life. He works things out. He, I, 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 was, uh, I prayed for, I and, and, a, and a pastor named Wright, uh, Pastor Wright in Crawfordsville, Indiana, prayed for a boy. We were preaching a revival. We prayed for a blind boy one time, a blind boy. Blind, he was only about 12 years old. He was there with his granddad. His granddad brought him there to be prayed for. And while we had our hands on him and praying for him, all of a sudden that boy begins to yell. I see it, I see it. And up on behind the baptistry, like our baptistry, that screen wasn't there. Baptistry there, and there was a picture of Jesus holding a lamb in his arms. Many of you have seen pictures like that behind a baptistry. He says, I see that picture, I see that picture. And he began to jump all over the place. And all of a sudden God had opened his eyes instantly just like that. And boy, from that time on, that church was packed out and people all outside because of that miracle that happened there with that blind boy. But I've seen things like that. It's amazing what God can do. I was preaching revivals all up around through Indiana, my wife and I and all of us. But I'm just trying to say here to you here today that our God is great and powerful. I came, uh, I, I was in, in Port St. Joe pastoring there. And uh, a woman kept calling saying, uh, her name was Register, saying, uh, Sister Myers, tell Brother Myers to come by. I want him to pray for me. She was a backslider. I hadn't seen her. I mean, she never was saved when I was there as a, as a person in the church. She had backslidden before I came there. And uh, so finally, just a little fluke, I went by there. And I, uh, I prayed for her. You know, she's in a chair. She's paralyzed on one side, on her left side, her arm, her leg, foot, everything. She had a brain tumor. And uh, they wanted to shave her head and operate on her brain at Shane's Hospital. And she didn't want her head shaved. She said, no, I've never cut my hair. I'm, you know, even though she was backslid, she'd never cut her hair. And she says, before I'm operated on, I want to go back home and be prayed for. That's what she had told them. That They said, all right, go take care of that. When you're all through, come on back. And don't wait too long because you've got to have this operation. She was in that wheelchair, whole side of her body. This is the truth. Whole side of her body was paralyzed. She told me the story. And I said, all right, I'm going to pray for her. I laid hands on her and I prayed for her and everything. She's crying and crying and crying. I got through praying for her and standing there looking at her. And the Lord gave me the words to say to her. All of a sudden, I could feel the Holy Ghost. I said, sister, I said, Mrs. Register, look at me. She looked at me. I said, if God heals you, will you serve him? That's what God wants you to do, to serve him. Will you serve him? And she said, oh, yes, Brother Myers, I will serve him. I'll serve him. I'll serve him. I promise you I'll serve him. I'll live for him. She started crying and crying and crying and everything. And I laid my hands on her head like this. And I prayed again. And the Holy Ghost came all over me. And while I'm praying with my eyes closed, my hand goes up. And it's her standing up on her feet. 
She pushed my hand up and both her arms are up and she's standing on her feet out of the wheelchair and she's praising God and then starts dancing around in her little living room where I was praying for her, you know, dancing around. And she kept on. I said, dear Lord, this God, this woman's had a miraculous healing and everything. And then I went, I left her worshiping God. I left her. I said, okay, you're okay. I went and got in the car, drove on and, uh, and everything. She, there's only Wednesday that this happened. This lady, when her husband came home, she had supper all cooked on the stove, waiting for on the table, waiting for him to eat. He liked to fell out of, fell out of his socks. I mean, you know, he said, I can't believe this. I can't. And then when she got all through, she washed up the dishes and, and got dressed and came to church that night, drove her car to church and never did go back to Shane's. Never did go back. I'm just telling you that I've seen God do things. God can do great things. There's nothing God cannot do. Praise the Lord. There's nothing God cannot do. I'm going to close with this. And I know I'm one minute over. Just give me this one thing and I'm going to close. When our church was down, little church down on Palm Bay Road, way down at the end. It was just a little, just a handful of us. I was doing some construction work. I had opportunity to get into some big construction jobs and it was a temptation to me because I could make a lot of money. That's a big, that's always a big forest, you know, but that's the devil talking, you know. He said, you know, you can make a lot of money. You can make a lot of money. So I got to thinking about it. You know what? I could support two or three preachers if I made a lot of money. And then, you know, here I am struggling along with this little church and everything like that. The little small churches before we built the, 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 the addition and all that. One rally night, I brought all the, uh, my family home. My wife said, take me and the kids by and you can take the other, the other boys back to, to their, their place over there in uh, Palm Bay. So I went and I delivered all of them and I got in the fog came in and I passed and I came around and I got on Malabar Road, Port Malabar Boulevard, I'm sorry, Port Malabar Boulevard to drive across over to, to Babcock. And as I was driving on Port Malabar Boulevard, the, the old church was on Palm Bay Road at the very end. Of it. As I got off US 1 there, the light fog was thick as pea soup. I was driving along on Port Malabar Boulevard. And all of a sudden, the fog lifted to my left, and there's our church sitting there. I said, what's the church doing on Port Malabar Boulevard? It's on Palm Bay Road. What's it doing here? I blinked my eyes. I looked at it. I, I was sitting in the middle of the road. I was sitting, you know, I stopped the car and the fog was still here, but there it had just opened up and I could see the church. I said, what's the church doing here? It's in the wrong, it's in the wrong place. I said, what's the church doing in the wrong place? And the Lord spoke to my heart and said, it's not in the wrong place. You're in the wrong place. Just like that. And I flashed my lights and I saw the, the sign, the street sign. And I was, on, I was on Palm Bay Road where the church is. I was on the wrong road. But when the Lord spoke to my heart and says, the church is in the right place, but you're not in the right place. I knew what he meant. Spiritually, you're not in the right place. I pulled off the road, car flashed the light behind me. Didn't want to run into me. I pulled off the road over here. And that circle of that church just sitting just like that. I could see it just as clear as day. There it was, our little church sitting there with our, you know, eight to five, 90 people at the time. 
And I sit there and I looked at it and the Lord, I began to cry and said, God, I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to stay here, pastor this church, what you sent me here to do. I'm going to stay right here. I'm not going anywhere. I just cried. And then the Lord spoke this to my heart. I'm going to close with this. And I'm always touched by this. The Lord says, this is the most important thing in this whole South Bavard area to me is this little church right here. This church is the most important thing to me. It's not Harris. It's not even the, the space program. It's not all the industry we have around Boeing, all the stuff you can name and announce. This church is the most important thing to me. And he didn't go on and on and on, but he just said it in my heart. And I said, Lord, I'm not going in place. I'll stay and I'm going to be here. And I'm still here after nearly 48 and a half years. We're still here. Praise the Lord. And God has been good. And look where the church has grown. God's blessed it and is going to bless it some more. Let's stand together and praise.